He looks down at me and said, Carrie, if I told you to F off, would you give me a misconduct? I looked up. I said, Jim, what are you talking about? I said, the game's over. Regular season's over. Nobody's mad. But he said to me at the time, I got a bonus in my contract for penalty minutes, and I'm four pims short, and the coach never played me one shift. I looked up, and I said, what'd you say? Very quietly, he said, F off. I yelled at him. Say it like you mean it, he yelled. (laughs) Fuck off. I said, you got 10. He said, thank you. And he walked to the dressing room. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down, and I never stayed down. And I was vicious, and I was malicious, and I don't care. (laughs) I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going to town. That'll be a suspension. That'll be a fine. Alive. Awesome to have you here today, Kerry, um, certainly. And to get right to it, yeah, Tim and I were talking before. Like Tim said to me, and by the way, say hello to Tim, Tim yeah. Stapleton. And Tim, how you doing, buddy? Kerry, how you doing? It's, it's great to catch you. Great to connect Yeah, I don't know you. if we I'm ever met. I never gave you a penalty. I never had a chance to give you a penalty. Oh, well, you, when you play like a pussy like me, you don't really get penalties. But... <laughs> I didn't. Have, I didn't have many, but obviously, uh, no. I'm excited. I know all about you, and you know, obviously, I. I don't think, uh, you know, I, I. 2010, you were done. I think I. I you know, I came yeah. in at 2008. I'm not related to any Stapleton you ever refed against. So I, I lied for like 10 years of my career, and I finally had to be like, my dad's a graphic designer. No <laughs> one played hockey in my life, but no, I'm excited. I know you and Chris have a uh, a relationship, so it's it's an honor to have you on for sure. Well, you might have been either in diapers when I worked my first Stanley Cup final in 1985, or maybe you were just a thought from your mom no, and dad. No, I think you were you, uh, 82, I was born. Um, yeah, I was definitely diapers or whatever you want to call it. But I, the, only, the only relation I have with you is going to a Hawks game and hearing everyone chant, Frazier sucks. <laughs> <laughs> So you're the guy that started it then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're I was, that guy. I was cheering, you know. We, we were talking, Tim and I, like I said, and and, and he said, geez, I, at what point do you say to yourself, oh, I want to be a referee because everybody friggin' hates referees. So what happened with you? You grew Never. up in Sanya, hockey town. What happened? I wasn't good enough. I, I finished playing junior A in Sarnia. I was the captain of the Sarnia team, and uh, I had a bunch of U.S. scholarship offers. Uh Dear friend of our family who played pro with my dad, Ted Garvin, was coaching in the IHL. He said, you can definitely play in our league. You can probably play in the American League, but that's going to be the end of the line for you. You're too small. You play too tough, too big for a little guy. You're going to get killed. And uh, why don't you look at officiating? Be, we need guys that understand the game, that played to a good level, understand the frustrations of the coaches and the players and the emotion of the game. So I thought, you know what? Why not? Uh, I decided not to take the uh, U.S. scholarship offers, and uh, I went to a referee school. It's 1972 when the World, uh, World Hockey uh, League was formed. So there was opportunity. I was scouted at that school. It was five days. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I, I paid close attention to all the instructors, which were NHL guys and world hockey guys. And uh, I was scouted at the end of it uh, by Frank Udberry, Hockey Hall of Fame uh, former referee and assistant director of officiating at the time. He said, I really liked what I saw out there. I was on the ice for 10 minutes refereeing an industrial league game. And uh, he said, I'd like to bring you to training camp. I got to check, make sure there's a space for you. 
Camp's two days later. I'll call you if we have a spot for you. Well, I got home from Halliburton Hockey Haven in Northern Ontario, and the phone rang 10, 10 o'clock Saturday morning. It was Mr. Adveri. He said, I got you all set up. We're, we're happy to have you. Uh, you report uh, to Toronto, to the, uh, the Hilton Hotel on uh, Dixon Road, and uh, we need you there at 6 o'clock. Told me what to bring. Camp was 10 days. I was so excited I didn't realize that he meant 6 p.m. I got up early and drove from Sarnia to Toronto. I showed up at 5.30 a.m. I'm at the front desk, Knox. <laughs> you love this. I'm proud, you know, like NHL. Wow. I said to the front desk guy, uh, yeah, Kerry Fraser checking in with the NHL officials. Guy looked at me, the night clerk. He said, wow, you're early. We thought you were coming in at 6 o'clock tonight. <sighs> Duh. Yeah. Better early than late, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's uh, that that is awesome because I I was always wondering like that. So the the process for that you got scouted to be a ref and like that whole thing. Yeah. And, and like I just never knew how that worked. Uh, you know. Well, it's like, Tim, I was a good skater. I understood the 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 game as a player. I understood also the things I liked about an official, and and I always communicated as a captain with with the refs, and I always tried to be respectful of them. Um, but uh, so I I had certain trigger points uh if you will um and uh you know one of them is sitting over beside you uh he was a trigger point but uh you know I learned along the way I came in with zero experience and I was thrown to the wolves right off the bat I was signed 10 days I'm at training camp and Nux can attest to this as you can Tim when you're a rookie your best position is to keep your mouth shut and your ears open and so after three or four days the veterans started you know kind of gravitating towards me and and they said hey we you know we want you to come up with us tonight we really like the way you're handling yourself uh, and it was a yes sir you know so after about a week at training camp I'm fitting in pretty good with them but I'm still keeping my mouth shut and I'm learning and, and I'm in the shower uh, shower and washing my hair after a, a morning skate oh not washing your yeah, hair yeah I had to yeah and then, oh. then the blow dryer came out but as I'm standing there I felt this warm stream on the back of my leg oh and I, I got the soap out of my eyes I turned around it was Art Scove the number one referee in the league at the time we called him Popsy and he was peeing on my the back of my leg and I said, Mr. Scove, I have to tell you, I've learned that it's better to be pissed on than pissed off. And he started giggling. He said, kid, you're going to be all right. Listen, you got to be a, a good skater to be a referee. I get it. But what was it that Frank saw in you that, you know, that, that first time he saw you out there, it had to be more than the skating or he just said, oh, he's a great skater. So we, we can teach him the rest. I think the the. Th thing that that he recognized in me uh was certain amount of poise and comfort and and not being timid at all um frank was a, a great mentor for me uh he helped me along the way for sure um and i i learned so much by going to games when i was working in the american league if there if i had a night off and i was anywhere close to an nhl city i went to that game Boston was a great location because we had Springfield, we had Providence in the American League, and, and I would make a point of, of going to the game and, and watching the guys. And if I, you know, I didn't impose myself, but if I could have lunch with them, even having lunch with them was a learning experience. And, uh, you know, when you're thrown to the Wolves, uh, and when I signed me to a contract, I was to do the minor leagues, and, 
And my very first trip, they had an agreement with the Western Hockey League and uh, Western Canada Hockey League, uh, the major junior out west. I got sent to Flin Flon, my very first assignment. Oh my God, I thought I landed on the moon. And uh, it, it was, and but I had to learn as I went. And Patty Janelle was coaching that team. And every, you know, when guys would get the, the Philadelphia flu, in that junior league, guys would get the Flin Flon <laughs> flu. They didn't want to play there. And my first game, I took control. I was, the fans were throwing stuff at me. They were booing me. I ended up throwing Patty Janelle, the coach, out of the, out of the game. I was patrolling center ice. Then I had to go back. It was a two-game series, and uh, Pat Price was playing, yeah. uh, and Jackie McLeod uh, was, was coaching uh, Saskatoon Blades. And so I had a day off, and then I had to go back into that barn again and uh, face the music. But you know what? And, and I'll bet you you can attest to it, guys. It makes you better. It makes you tougher when you're not going to be intimidated and you have to stand tall, even at five, seven and a half. You have to dig your feet in sometimes. Um, I had to learn the hard way not to be so arrogant. Oh, that's hard. That's hard yeah. for you. <laughs> now, it really was hard. That five, seven, that five, seven and a half, right, Kerry? Tim, how tall are you? Yeah. I'm like 5'8". I'm just still so like, uh, I, I wrote down, if I ever get pissed on, I know what to say now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can blow my hair up. I gain a couple inches. But, uh, you know, uh, you learn with experience. Experience is a great teacher, especially when you screw up. And, and if you apply yourself and, and be honest to be able to evaluate yourself honestly and, and not always have to be right. But a funny story, one of the, you know, my first loops out there, Danny Gare is playing and they're playing for Calgary. And, and uh, I, uh, the home team was getting spanked big time. Their fans were throwing stuff on the ice. Players were frustrated. They'd come up and mouth off after a goal was scored against them and I'd bang them with a misconduct. I had them sitting three deep in the penalty box towards the end of the third period. Finally, the coach had enough of me. He sent his captain over, very respectful. He said, Mr. Referee, my coach wants to know if he can get a penalty for thinking. And I said, well, as long as he doesn't think out loud, he's probably okay. He said, in that case, he thinks you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> oh, nice. So no penalty. I started oh, laughing. I love it. I, hilarious. No, I started laughing. Yeah. I, I, I found the humor in it, and I looked over at the coach. With, he was one foot up on the bench, and he's got that grit, and all of a sudden he smiled, and then he started laughing, and it was a great lesson for me. Don't take yourself so seriously and enjoy the game that you love. So from then on, I, you know, tried not to be an a-hole. Were you like, was that, that whole process, though, like, were, like, was it like a player? Like, if you had a bad refing game, like, did you get sent down? Can you, like, was your job always on the line kind of type feeling? Not so much that, but it was all about learning, and yeah. what better place to learn than the minor leagues? Uh, Jack Tex Evans, big, tough Ooh, yeah. Chicago Blackhawk, you know, Stanley Cup winner. And Tex was coaching the Salt Lake uh, City uh, Eagles, and they were the L.A. Kings. Charlie Simmer was playing there. Uh, uh, Terry Murray was on the D. I went into Salt Lake for a two-game series. My first game, I was absolutely horrible. I was pitiful. I was so horrible. And I, I went back to the hotel across the street from, from the rink, and I just started contemplating, you know, all the things I did wrong. And I had a day off. Next day, game day, I went to the rink, and I knocked on the coach's room door. Big Tex Evans stepped out, massive guy. I 
extended my hand and, and I introduced myself and I said, Mr. Evans, I just want to apologize to you and your player, players for the way I worked the other night. It was pitiful. And I'm going to give you and the other team the very best I've got uh, for this performance tonight. And you know what? He, he looked at me, he said, don't worry about it, kid. He said, you know, we've all had bad ones. Uh, so you just give your best and, and that's all you can do. What kind of dough did you said you signed a contract that first year? What kind of dough did you make? It couldn't have been oh, much, boy. right? Seventy two. In in seventy, it was seventy three. I had uh, I signed for six thousand dollars with uh, bonus for an additional foul uh, for doing a number of American League games, and I I accomplished that. So I had a seven thousand base, and then the playoffs were all extra. And of course, we lived pretty frugally. Uh, on our expenses and uh, tried to make up some money there as well. Uh, but uh, it was a long way. And, and you know what? The guys in the minor pro leagues, uh, once I made it to the NHL and was on our executive, we went on strike uh, in the 92-3 season. Um, it, uh, we got the, the American League guys really good increase in salary that was respectable. The Zamboni drivers were making more than our minor league refs that, that time. Uh, so guys in the minor leagues are making close to a hundred thousand dollars a year. So did you like, would you work like a second job? Would you work like a second job or I did? Of course. Yeah. Uh, I'd come home at the end of the season after the playoffs and, and, uh, I was in the clothing business, uh, with another gentleman, uh, back in Sarnia. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, you had to make ends meet. Um, and, and I wasn't a guy to sit around anyway. Um, you know, you train, you get ready for camp, but you just, uh, you have to get some other experiences in life and you know being in sales was uh was really good for me as well to try and sell the call to try and develop relationships with players that were that were uh, professional and positive and i i see uh some of that uh has been lost um chris and i are a bit of an anomaly um but and and i say this with all due respect and i i love this guy dearly um but when we were together, it was kind of the oil and water uh, mixture. Um, other guys, and I started this with Wayne Gretzky. No, it was bad. It was bad. Big like time. you two and were. I, and I this is apologize. when before, like while you were playing and you were reffing, you guys. No, had a, when he come up the NHL and yeah. and I came in, and all of a sudden he's on the scene, and he he just had this disdain for me. I don't know what it was. Listen, I was a prick on the ice. I I did my job. I. I fought constantly and I did some other things out in the ice that certainly I deserve penalties for, but he was always up my ass, always looking for me. I always dirty looked him. Like when I'd see him on the ice and I'd come out in the warm up and I'd see him, I just fucking scowl at him. <laughs> there was like, like a pure hate. There was actually like a no, real hatred. Oh, I fucking hated that's him. A, that's... Yeah, for sure. I did. That's a strong word, but I hate no, it. No, it is a strong word. That's why I'm uh, you know? kind of amazed by that. That's Well, I'll tell you, he's, he was, in a, and I got to share this, Nux, and I know you're going to say it was the glove, but this sort of defines our, our relationship together. It was the glove. <laughs> and Nux, 300 penalty minutes plus a year, but he was a player. He could score. He's 20 plus goals, and, and he was, you know, he was a good player. You had to be able to play. Uh, some guys that were enforcers couldn't play. All they did was fight. He could do both. So, but he had that disdain and he had, so you're going to watch him as a referee. 
If you have any intelligence about you, you're going to make sure you look for the trouble spots on the ice and you try and solve them. So I was at an eye on him every shift he was on the ice. Well, this game in Boston, he's matched up with Rick Nifty Middleton. Nifty couldn't get two minutes in penalties if he tried. <laughs> he was just a really good player, good scorer. So I thought bad matchup. So the, they're both going down towards the net on a, on a rush. They collide together right at the net. I'm on the other side. The puck starts to go out into the neutral zone, and I did a head fake. I entrapped him. I turned my head to follow the puck because when Sneaky I looked over at Nux and our eyes met, I knew he was pissed off, and he was going to do something stupid. So I did the head fake, turned quick, right as he was butt-ending Middleton in the mouth and knocked his front teeth out. So up goes the arm. Back then, it was a 10-minute match penalty for deliberate injury. It was just before the playoffs. We had to go to a hearing in, in Montreal. Emergency hearing called. I walk into the boardroom. Serge Savard, the general manager's there. What a gentleman. He shook my hand. Hey, Kerry, how are you? Ça va? Ça va bien? This guy. He hated you, too. <laughs> he was staring daggers at me like cold stare. He wanted to kill me. So Mr. O'Neill, Brian O'Neill, charge of uh, discipline comes in. He reads my report. He said, Chris, do you have anything to say for yourself? Now, the Boston guy, eh? He says, yeah, Mr. O'Neill, I got something to say for myself. Referee Fraser here, he calls more penalties on me than any other ref in the league. He's always picking on me. And just to prove my point, if he hadn't been watching what he should have been watching, which was to play Goldie out of way, he wouldn't have seen me butt and Middleton in the mouth. Serge spit his coffee out on the table. He said, Chris, Chris, stop. He said, Mr. O'Neill, Chris did not mean to say that. Brian O'Neill, I'll never forget this. He said, Chris... There isn't a referee in the league that would be worth a pound of salt, given your reputation, if he didn't watch you every second you're on the ice. Yeah, yeah, you you overdid, <laughs> you overdid the watching me. It, it was Plain it was simple. too much. You overdid and, it. You know. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, you know the sequel. You yeah, know the you, sequel to that story. He's. Re I got fucking eight games. He's I going know to jail you did. Which, <laughs> Son that of a was bitch. huge back then. But Nux retired. It was Long you. after Nux retires. And I finish in 2010. And two years later, I'm meeting the Boston Bruin alumni, and Nux played for the Bruins, and it was uh, Terry O'Reilly and Ray Bork and Kenny the Rat Linsman and Nifty Middleton and a whole bunch of guys. And I meet them in Toronto, and we're taking the bus, and we're going through Ontario doing charity events for Special Olympics. I get on the bus, and Nux is in the, in the coach's seat. He's in the front row. He's still staring freaking <laughs> daggers at me. I got the cold stink eye from him mm -hmm. as I get on the bus. So I go to the middle. I see a face. I start telling a story, everything story. We were sharing stories, and the bus started to shrink. The front to the middle, the back to the middle, Nux is last man in. I see him coming. I'm sitting across from Nifty Middleton. I said, and then Nux is within earshot. I said, hey, Nifty, remember the time Nux butt ended your teeth out? <laughs> He goes, it was my glove, you effing asshole. <laughs> Nifty says, you're full of shit. And he took his teeth out. Look at this. You, you locked them out. So they just yeah. went at each other, and I yeah. sat there laughing. I'll go to my grave with that one. I hit him with the back of my glove. And, and poor Ricky had a plate in. He had a plate. He already had his teeth fucking knocked out. All I did is jaw the plate loose and cut his lip. Anyway, we put that. That's all water under the bridge. Yeah. Kerry. What's the one right? And for me, I used to go into Boston. I know what was coming, Philadelphia. What's the one place you hated going because just the fan base, most fan bases didn't like you. But the, the one fan base you just couldn't stand being 
in that game. You know, I loved every day on the job, Knox, even when it was tough. But but I have oh, come to on, te- come on. Be, I have be to human tell you the, the, the Quebec. Be fucking human. The the Quebec Coliseum. After I disallowed Alain Cote's goal in Game oh, yeah. Five of the '87 uh, playoffs, you guys won and advanced. Yeah. Uh, Thank so you. two years later, I was back in the Coliseum. We had terrible uh security guy there he, he left at the end of the second period and you know how they used to in in february it's freezing cold out parking lots frozen they used to allow fans inside the building where, where the players and the officials come out to get autographs keep them warm i'm walking by with wayne bonnie just the two of us linesman wayne bonnie and these five guys standing there keeping warm waiting for the players and one guy said there's fraser let's get him Buckwheat and I walked out the door. I said, Wayne, we got to hustle to the car. We're, we're in a suit, dress shoes. I said, if, and, and they're coming. They're coming. They're not coming out to get an autograph. It's freaking 22 below zero. So I knew we couldn't get to the car. I said to Wayne, get to my back. We go back to back. If we go down, I'm done. So the lead dog, the junkyard dog was coming. And I unzipped my, uh, my equipment bag. I pulled out my skate. I looked him right in the eye with the Chris Nyland stare. And I said, they might get me, but you're going to fucking die. I'm going to cut your throat. And he backed up a little bit. I knew I had him. I knew I had him. And I said, now you move, you're effing dead. And we got in the car. I said to Wayne, fire this thing up, get the hell out of here. That was the closest I ever came, Chris, uh, to having to really uh, go at it with with a fan. Well, I was just going to say, too, you probably, like, yeah, I mean, there's probably times you got death threats and stuff or anything like, oh, you know d- what I mean? Timmy, like, I had, you're probably I had, like doing this all the time, like just having to like hide out and I couldn't imagine. I had a death threat in St. Louis. <laughs> I had one in New York too, but the death threat in St. Louis. What about Louis? the Boston one? Isn't someone going to shoot you in Boston? No, that, that was St. Louis. That was you, the, Chris. St. Louis. The Monday Night Miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Monday Night Miracle in St. Louis. It was uh, 1987. Uh, Jacques Demers was coaching the Blues, and it was the Western Conference Final against the Calgary Flames, Game 6, and the Blues had to win. And at the end of the second period, they're down three zip. And uh, Rob Ramich was their captain. He broke a stick over a guy. Obviously, they were giving up. I gave Ramich the riot act, read him the riot act when he came out of the penalty box. I said, you go tell Jacques to get some discipline or I'm going to fill this box. It's game over, series over. He said, yeah, whatever. Two giant cops, like six, five plus in uniform, stepped out of the penalty box. They grabbed me. They said, Kerry, hurry up off the ice. And they took me around the boards instead of diagonally across the ice to the, uh, the Zamboni entrance in the old St. Louis arena. We get in there, I'm with Ray Scampanello and Ron Huck Finn, the two linesmen. And uh, the, the big cop says, Kerry, uh, it's my duty to inform you you've had a death threat. I went, ah. Happened before, some guy sitting at home drinking his Budweiser, calls in, he's going to, you know, shoot me, right? He said, no, we traced the call. Came from inside the arena on a payphone. The guy is in the building. He said he has a gun, and if you come out for the third period, he's going to shoot you. Well, so... Uh, he said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going out. Was that the first time you wore yeah. a helmet? Yeah, I was just going to say, that's no, the first time you wore a helmet. <laughs> no, but I looked over at Scampanello. His eyes were like saucers. He probably thought we're the same size. They might, uh, you know, mistaken identity. They might plug him, the guy. He said he had a gun. He's going to shoot. So we get, we get to the uh, the ramp in the old Louis, uh, in the old uh, St. Louis, and they pulled the, the carp canopy down. And I'm walking under it, down, down, down. And I look behind me for my backup. 
They're standing up at the top of the ramp with their arms folded, their legs crossed, my two linesmen. I said, come on, guys. They went, no, you go, you go. So I went out by myself, and I did the zigzag as fast as I could, as, as uh, Chris's dad would have uh, as a Green Beret. I went around the ice one time. They didn't hear a gunshot, and out they came. And that game is still famous on YouTube, the Monday Night Miracle. They still talk about it because uh, Doug Wickenheiser scored the winning goal in uh, overtime uh, to force game seven, and they lost one nothing in Calgary. Calgary went to the finals against Montreal. Wow, that's a, that's incredible. Now, do you do, like? Was there any places that you like loved to like? You know, talking about, like you were looking forward to refereeing in the buildings, like any anything like that. Montreal, and I'll tell you why. There, there was, and Chris can attest to this. There was different. Because you uh, could call penalties on me. That's <laughs> no, but the, it's yeah. it's the holy grail. It truly. I mean, I don't think there's a better organization in the National Hockey League than the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, from ownership right down. And you know they're in a lean time, but it happens to all all franchises. But the old forum, it was like you're walking into church. And then the new building. I opened that. I had the first game there with the Rangers playing, and the crowd was different. It was energetic. It was modern. The, the volume was incredibly loud, and they're very knowledgeable fans. So if I messed up, they let me know it. If you made a good call, they also would respond to that. So uh, that was one of my favorite places to work. You were back in the one referee day. Uh, how difficult was it you to for you when they went to two refs? I mean, because you're in control, you're out there, you run the show, then another referee comes in and it's like, you know, is there kind of a little bit of competition in there between you? Well, it's a really good point. Uh, you know, I endorsed the two referee system. Uh, we were trying to extricate the clutch and grab and holding and, and uh, you know, the, the game was dragged down to a freaking halt and uh, the skill players people want to see skill they want to see the the fast and the go and the flow and and guys like Guy Lafleur you know Mario Lemieux Wayne Gretzky you name it now we've got Ovechkin and who who can play any way you want or Sidney Crosby he's he's a tough little guy too that comes he plays a 200 foot game but uh, back then uh, it one it created more jobs for our guys so I was happy for that everybody should get a chance and I was 30 years in the NHL. Nobody was going to take my place until I gave it up. Uh, so this gave everybody a chance to, uh, to get to where they wanted to be. But to Chris's point, there was some competition, not from us, not from the senior guys, but from the younger guys. Because they stepped in from the American Hockey League, and they wanted to be recognized like we were. They wanted to have the respect that we had acquired over time. And there was, it wasn't one man's game anymore. So when I was leading the play into the zone and something would happen within 10, 15 feet of me, I think my judgment was pretty good over, over time with the experience I'd gained. And I might deem it not to be a penalty. And the thing that used to bother me the most was when a guy 150 feet away would make a long-distance phone call and put his arm up and blow his whistle. And even there were times where I would shake my head or I'd say, nothing there, go. And all of a sudden we hear a whistle and the players are looking at me confused. I had a game, and this kind of typifies it with this competition. I had a game in Madison Square Garden one night, and I was working with a younger referee. 
whenever you call, both referees put their arms up, you are supposed to confer to make sure you have the same penalty. Otherwise, you know, you, you. so four times in a row, they're right in my wheelhouse. I've got my arm up. Boom. The other guy, shortly thereafter, put his arm up. Whistle blows. Instead of conferring, coming to me and saying, what have you got? He blasted to the penalty box, flipped on his microphone, and announced the penalty four times in a row. I'm scratching my head like, what is this guy doing? What's going on here? So I thought he just wanted to be on TV. So number five penalty in the first period towards the end. I'm trailing. There's a guy water skiing, hooking, holding up. Up goes my arm. It's obvious, but I look at the other guy, and he's looking at the puck and the play on, on the puck where he should have been looking. Plays in the, uh, in the end zone on the delay, and I'm standing beside linesman Pat DePuzo. And I said, uh, all of a sudden, the other guy put his arm up, like eight seconds after mine went up. I said, Pat, what happened? We got another penalty? I didn't see anything happen there. He said, I don't know. The whistle blew. Now, this is the first time that that guy came to me in five penalties that were called that I were in my wheelhouse, and he said, what have you got? And I knew he didn't see it. I said, yeah. what have I got? What have you got? He went, uh, uh. I said, yeah. He uh, riding uh. your coattails. He was riding your coattails. So you know what happened? He, he told me that there was one of his buddies was on the off-ice crew in Montreal, and they got a directive from Hockey Ops to uh, mark which referee was calling the penalties. So I would have been 0 for 4 at that point, and he was 4 for 4. And that's so ridiculous. I mean, if you make oh. a competition, my God, it's let's make sure they, they're right. We enforce consistently as we can to individuals. So that was just, you know, one of the speed bumps and, and growing pains of the two referees. Would system. you get into it? Like with like would there ever be like he Oh yeah, we got in the dressing room say, and like I, after the first yeah. you're like, what the oh, fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I said, Don't you ever, ever do that again. Ever. So you were telling me you were you were telling us you were fair at, at some point in your career. You were Eventually fair I got to that Nux after you left. <laughs> now there were times and I never did this. But I wanted to fucking shoot a puck at you so bad. And I never did. Okay? Now, did that ever happen to you where players during a game, they're going to fake dump it in and we're going to shoot one at his head? Did that happen to you? Oh, yeah. For sure. For sure. Really? Who? Well, Mark Howe, for one, I played Junior A against him. Uh, we played the old Olympia was still going there when he was with the Detroit Junior Red Wings. And, and uh, Howie was playing for the Flyers. And the game was in Long Island. We, we laugh about it today whenever we see each other. And I had Mike Keenan's coaching. And I had uh, Philadelphia down like three guys right off the bat. I got a delayed penalty. They score on the first one. Now the second, there's still two men short. The second one's going to start up. I drop the puck. It goes back to Mark Howe. And I'm backing away. And Howie turns. And he turns. And he turns following my movement. And he let one go. And honest to God, it creased my hair it i felt it Ooh, on the hair that's still there that crease is still there <laughs> i chased him to the bench he jumped in the bench he's sitting in front of keenan and i'm saying to keenan if this guy ever shoots a puck at me again i'm gonna give him 20 games keenan's like what's going on how he just looked up he said if i wanted to hit you i would have <laughs> and sure enough he was that accurate do you have any do you have any like a really embarrassing like uh like any embarrassing moments that you can recall like oh yeah one time i i uh we had a long delay 
and uh, the guy's splitting the D, and he gets fouled. So I up goes my arm. I see him get grabbed. Delay, 30, 40 seconds on the, uh, on the delayed penalty call, and I forgot <laughs> which guy it was that I was going to give the penalty to. I blew the whistle, and I said, okay, you, two minutes for holding. He said, it wasn't me. I said, who was it? He said, it was him. I said, okay, him, come on. You got two minutes for holding. Oh, now you did that to me every game. Right. <laughs> hey, talk about, well, embarrassing, but we all make mistakes in life, and we all miss things. There's no question about it. But this one game in the playoffs, Toronto and Los Angeles, Wayne Gretzky, Doug Gilmore, Gretzky high sticks, Gilmore right in the chin, gets 12 stitches. How the hell do you not see that? The puck is right. What, were you looking at another Chris Nyland off to the side? Huh? <laughs> Why weren't you looking at the puck, the play, and who had the puck? And why didn't your linesmen help you with that? Or they didn't see it? It was, it was certainly beyond embarrassing. It was, it was certainly humbling, but uh, disappointing. Uh, I was disappointed in myself once I eventually saw a replay and recognized that uh, it was uh, actually uh, Doug Gilmore was clipped with Gretzky's stick. Um, uh, I take full responsibility. Things happen quickly, as you know, Nux. Uh, but on that initial play, Gretz, on the faceoff, shot the puck, and it hit Jamie McCowan in the shin pad, defenseman for Toronto. The puck bounced right back to the faceoff spot where Gretzky uh, was still standing and Doug Gilmore. And... It just, it was like a blur and a blink. And I saw Wayne do, like, I thought a follow-through of his shot on the puck that had just returned to him. And then Doug bent over, and he's dabbing his chin, and we kill the play. So I went to Doug Gilmore, and I said, Doug, please tell me what happened. I have no idea. He said, Wayne took a shot, and the follow-through of his shot, his stick got me in the chin. Now, that's the guy that got clipped. I said, if that's the case, bud, that's not a penalty. Okay, but it just didn't smell right. Something, you know, and other players were coming to me and Gretz was usually, he'd, you know, be right there in your face pleading his case. He was off to the side. He was heading out of the zone, kind of like, you know. He wanted no part of that. <laughs> exactly. So I, I said, boys, get away, please. Both linesmen. Ron Huck Finn, he had balls the size of an elephant. If he saw something, he'd tell you. And he said, Kerry, I can't help you. I was looking through their back from the blue line. I, I just can't help you. Kevin Collins had dropped the puck, and uh, he was in the vicinity. And he was kind of him and hawing, well, he was, if, I don't know. If he, if he did, he was bent over, and I, I, I'm just not sure. Couldn't accept the fact that, that uh, we didn't have concrete evidence and information to turf Wayne Gretzky out of the game. Uh, it would have been a guess on my part. And I always found out if you guess, you're, you got, you know, you're usually 50% wrong. By the way, do you think that's stupid, Tim, uh, when you think of it? A follow-through on a shot, and you high-stick a guy, and it's not a penalty. You cut him. Like, I think that's the most stupid rule. If you're sh shooting the puck and you follow through, you're still responsible for your stick. Yeah, I stick yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I'm just kind of that's yeah, I'm ridiculous. Just really, into it's moved that, into uh, that story. now, guys. Uh, it's moved to that. Um, well, now they call that. Is yeah. what you're saying? I was the other day. I was over at the Flyers uh, Hawks game, the afternoon game, and uh, there was a Hawk player that that grabbed a Flyer, 
hauled him down along the wall, and as the guy's falling, his, his stick just normal fall, falling, clipped the guy. Two minutes for holding on the Blackhawk, four minutes for high sticking on the guy that fell and his stick came up and clipped the guy. So it has changed in that regard. Now, it, back then, it was the normal follow-through of a stick. I gave, and right back, right back to Mark Howe, uh, one night in Philly, uh, he shot the puck in on a dump, and then he took, on the follow-through, he saw the guy coming, and he picked him off like this, <laughs> moved his, boom. That was not a normal follow-through. Now, in the, like, the whole blood thing, though, too, like, that's even weird to me. Like, you have to Yeah, you know, to, it's like, got to be an know. injury. Yeah. Murray Craven was going in on a breakaway one time for the Philadelphia Flyers. And I had a really good beat on it. You know, I'm a sole referee, but I was, I was up on the play, and I'm, I'm right across, and I'm looking at him going in because there was a guy potentially going to foul him from behind. And I could see Muzz biting his lip. He's, he's, he's still skating, but he's chomping on his lip. And he doesn't score the goal. He came over to me, and there was blood coming out of the two teeth marks. He said, look, he caught me. He clipped me with a stick. He cut me. I said, Murray. Please, I said, if you're going to bite yourself, like at least turn your head away from me so I don't see it. He just laughed, said, well, you can't fault me for trying, can you? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, I saw Jim McKenzie the other night at the, uh, or other afternoon at the Flyers game. Jim McKenzie, one of two guys that ever thanked me for giving him a penalty. And it's an awesome story. And Jim was big enforcer. He fought... He, he, you know, the very first time he I saw him, Knox, him. Yeah. Yeah. he he was mesmerized by Chris Nyland as he's walking in the building. Like Chris is the is like his idol, his hero, uh, as a fighter. And Big Jim, 6'3", 230 pounds, but an honest heavyweight, but a really nice guy. And so his second year of pro, he's playing for the Hartford Whalers. I've got the last game of the season, Washington, in the old Cap Center. Nothing happens. We get the game over with. Everybody wants to just get into the playoffs. All the Ricky Lee and, and the coach of the, the uh, Whalers and all the players, all the stick boys, trainers, everybody off the ice at the Zamboni entrance except Big Jim and I. We step off on the mat together. He looks down at me and said, Kerry, if I told you to F off, would you give me a misconduct? I looked up. I said, Jim, what are you talking about? I said, the game's over. Regular season's over. Nobody's mad. Now, he give me a little fib here, and I'll correct it. But he said to me at the time, I got a bonus in my contract for penalty minutes, and I'm four pims short, and the coach never played me one shift. I looked up, and I said, what would you say? Very quietly, he said, F off. I yelled at him, say it like you mean it. He yelled, <laughs> fuck off. I said, you got 10. He said, thank you, and he walked to the dressing room. We laughed about it again the other day. That's at the, nice of you, though. Yeah, That's good. You're a good guy. <laughs> good. So here's the real deal. He, he fibbed me on it. He was 196 penalty minutes, and all of his were for like five-minute majors for fighting. Other guys were getting talking penalties and match penalties, and they were padding. Their, you know, they had a pretty good number of penalty minutes. Him as a, a bona fide heavyweight, he wanted to get over the 200-minute mark. I helped him out. Tim, as aggressive as you are, I could have helped you out with, uh, you know, Oh, I could have used minutes. you for sure, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I mean, I might have had ten minutes my whole career. But um, did you guys have like the, the you guys have like did you have superstitions and like how like to prepare for a game? Or is it similar? Like, you know, like players we all have these same routines. Like, did you guys? How early did you get to the rink? What was the whole process on that? Oh my God, uh, John D'Amico, 
was the worst guy for for superstition. I mean, he had to sit in the same spot. One night there was almost a fight between uh, him and and, uh, Paul Stewart because Stewie wanted to sit where D'Amico had sat for like 40 years. And uh, (laughs) John wasn't having it. But he would lay out his equipment a certain way. And he'd, he'd, oh man, he'd put one skate on, one shin pad. He was like a whack job. And uh, but what an amazing official! I mean, John was was just yeah, I was good. Oh, he he was a player's linesman. He'd take a punch in the head for a player. He'd say, "Get your face behind yeah, mine. I'll take like it for that. you." But he was super superstitious. No, that's interesting. I, I um I just think it's like yeah, the superstition. I wasn't very superstitious, but there was guys that were nuts. Like they you know they would have a something in the locker room sitting in the same spot, a stick. If you moved it, they would be like you know. That they're just crazy, but I just think it's funny because you guys kind of are, you know, preparing, you know, just like us. And then, you know, within the first minute, I could just be like, fuck, you know, telling a ref that he's a fucking piece of shit. It's like, I just prepared, <laughs> Timmy, uh, I just prepared just as well as you did for this, man. Like, take it easy. Well, let me tell you yeah. how non superstitious some of us were. When we went into the, the Coliseum in Quebec City, they had the best shen show of any place in the league their hot dogs were incredible they grilled they the were buns. the best <laughs> oh so what we'd do before they opened the building to let the people in just before that the turn the uh, the gate would go up on the on the one uh, uh concession where they had the shin show and we'd stand there by the corner and we'd order two each and we'd scarf them down and then we'd go down and get dressed so, you know, we had these hot dogs in our belly <laughs> as we stepped out onto the ice, but you had to have them. Now, listen, the, the hairdo, everybody knows the hairdo. When they think Kerry Frazier, it goes right away to the hairdo. Not that he's a prick, not that he was an asshole as a referee, the hairdo. Now, how about putting, and we all got egos, how about having to put the helmet on? How difficult was that for you? You're going to cover that beautiful hairdo up. Was that difficult? Well, it was, but here's why. I talked with Craig McTavish and Wayne Gretzky, who wore that little light jofa that didn't protect anything. So all three of us believed that you developed an extra sense of awareness when you weren't protected. Literally. I would, I would slip a puck that's coming. Good point. Uh, yeah, and I've good seen point. players with you know helmets and things on, and they just sit down there, and boom, it hits them in the face. Um, so there's that awareness that is really important for a referee, for sure. It's, it's important for all players to know where everybody is on the ice. They're not going to get run over and blindsided and whatever. But I literally, um, was trying out a chest protector in the Boston garden one time that uh, a guy back in Strathroy, Ontario had, had built. And he told me, yeah, you can take it in the chest and it disperses all the energy and this and that. So I said, yeah, I'll try it. So I'm in the Boston garden, the new one. And Sean O'Donnell for the uh, Bruins is on the power play. I'm leading the play into the zone, backing up. And he's on the opposite side, red line, steps over it, pounds a slap shot. Probably going 90, maybe 94, five miles an hour. I see it coming. It's a, I think, boy, this is a great one. I'm going to try this chest protector. So I squared up to it to take it in the chest. All of a sudden, the puck start, and this is how you see things slowly. And I've seen it coming. It's coming. It's you know, over 90 miles an hour, and it started to rise a little bit. So I start to get up on my toes a little bit, but it's going to be too high. I might take it in the neck. So last second, I hit the deck, Tim, and I felt it swish, the, the breeze swish my hair. And uh, 
the play-by-play guy for the uh, the Bruins uh, in his very best Howard Cosell voice. And down goes Frazier. And uh, Gordy Kluzak said, and not a hair out of place. But that's how the awareness comes in buckets you see things slower i put a helmet on because they made me in my last collective bargaining agreement the first game i had a helmet on i got hit in the in the helmet and the visor uh four times in the corner with sticks i think players recognize guys that aren't as well protected and mac t craig mctavish said the same thing he can't ever remember getting you know hit in the head so you're only human yeah but you you must have taken some uh, well Certainly a lot of abuse from fans, from players, from referees, not referees, from coaches. What was the worst thing you ever said to one of them, either a player, a coach, or a fan, where you got so frustrated, something that no one would hear, but you said it? Big time regret here, Knox. Big time. Mario Lemieux, second year captain for the, the Penguins. Mario didn't like to be touched. And of course, Paul Coffey had been traded there. And uh, Mario was stripped of the puck. He slashed a guy in the back of the ankles. It was pretty obvious penalty. Uh, I called the slash. He went in the penalty box. He, they get scored on. He came back to the faceoff, didn't even go to the bench, looked at me, bent over, tapped his stick on the faceoff dot, said, nice effing call. Well, I, w- I went unloaded on him. I went ballistic. And I regret it to this day. And I said, you know what? I said, I've had enough of you. I said, you're the effing captain of this team. I said, your guys don't even respect you. I said, go take a look at that guy standing there right on the, on the D, on the blue line. Paul Coffey, that guy's a leader. He's respected. He's done it. Oh, my God, it was terrible. He just dropped his head. I dropped the puck. And, and now two nights later... Uh, and I said, your guys don't respect you. They don't even listen to you. Oh, what am I thinking? So, uh, and that's the human side. That was a ugh, bite it off. So two nights later, they're in Long Island. End of the first period, there's a big scrum. All the players are scrumming around, and, and I go in there blowing my whistle, blowing my whistle. Hey, guys, stop it, stop it, stop it. Mario looks at his guys. He says, hey, boys, let's go. They all followed him. And he looked at me with the piercing eyes like, I'm the guy in charge here, not you. I got my team, not you. Now, did he? Did you ever like apologize him? Did he forgive you? Did, did that go oh, on? I, I tried, but I, I got to tell you, I, and, and we've, we've been cordial uh, after retirement and things. I have so much respect for him for all the things, injuries and sickness and things that he's overcome. Uh, but, you know, I, I just think that, that was that was so egregious of me that I don't know if I would get over it uh, if somebody attacked me like that. It was it was really I, wrong. Yeah, yeah. I had yeah. I, one time in training camp, and I didn't play much in the NHL. But one time in training camp, at the time too, I was probably probably played like four games. But I was taking a face off. I don't know who the ref was, but it was awesome what he did. But I uh, he I got kicked out. Right, I was cheating twice, and then I was like I said. I was like, drop the fucking puck, you know? And so, like, as I went to the hash marks, the, you know, the winger took the, the draw, I, like, look, I could see him, and he's, like, over the shoulder just staring at me the whole time. And he ended up doing, like, the full pivot, hands on his knees, and glided towards me. So, like, everyone's waiting for me. And he comes, and he's just like, is that how we do it up here? 
And then I was just like looking at him. He's like, you would have no idea what that's about, would you? And because he knew. <laughs> and then he just turned around, glided back. And I, I think I even got sent down like after that game. But I was just like, oh. I was like, that was kind of mean. <laughs> hey, you remember Ouch. You remember Pierre yeah. Shampoonux, a linesman from Quebec? Oh, yeah. Oh, great yep. guy. I love Pierre. He lives not far from me. Oh, he's great. But he came in right from training camp. And he's, his English was really sketchy at the start. And so... Right from training camp, we fly out to L.A., and, and he's all excited. He signed a contract. He's, he's doing a, a game in the Los Angeles uh, Forum. And uh, towards the end of the first period, he threw uh, little Evans out of the faceoff. And, but he did it in such a way, he says, you, put your stick down. And Evans looked at him and said, who the F for you? He says, you, oh, so he pitches him. So he's, he's going to really give it to him, and I can see a misconduct coming. So I go over to Evans. I said, hey, listen, come here, relax. He's new. First game. We'll have a chat in the dressing room. Just relax. He's a good kid. So I go in the dressing room. I said, listen, trying to be tactful. I said, Pierre, I said, you want these players to cooperate with you at the faceoff. You want to solicit their cooperation. Here's what I would do. I'd say, put your stick down, please. What's he going to say? Go screw yourself? No, he's going to put his stick down and say, if you have to, I really want you to take this faceoff. Please line up for me right. And if he gives you a little lip, say, whoa, I'd like you to take the face off, but did somebody piss on your cornflakes today? He went, I like that. I like that. <laughs> so very next face off. Hey, you, put your stick down. Guy says something to him. He said, hey, stop, put your stick down or I'm going to piss on your cornflake. <laughs> <laughs> the one cornflake. The cornflake. Carrie told me to say oh, that. I oh, I love that boy. Yeah. We're in conversation with Kerry Frazier, former NHL referee, uh, has refereed the most uh, regular season hockey games in the history of the NHL. That being said, okay, I look at you as having a Hall of Fame career, and I cannot believe that the people who run that league are so small that they, they, there's something they have against you that they're not letting this happen. I don't get it. You should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, thank you for your support. And, and I understand um, corporate life. Um, five years before I retired, when we come back from the first lockout and we had a buy-in from everybody about speeding up the game and no holding, no hooking, no obstruction. The referees were going to call it. We were going to stay the course because the general managers, owners, coaches, players, all, association all agreed that this was better for the game. But while that happened and it got faster, body checks became hits. Body checks to gain position and, and puck control possession became train wreck kind of hits that guys wanted to appear on SportsCenter for the hit of the night or the hit of the week or whatever. And I, my job, really, from day one as a referee was to keep the game safe, enforce the rules which are to keep players safe. Uh, and that's really what it's all about. Yeah, we have to make it entertaining. Yeah, we have to make good judgments and not call the ticky-tacky stuff. Yeah, but you did all that. What, what is it with them? I, I want, from your point of view, listen, yeah, yeah, the, your record is there. I had two game misconducts that were wicked. Guys knocked out with high hits to the head, carried off the ice on stretchers. 
and uh, those game misconducts were rescinded. And I got a call from the vice president of officiating, Stephen Wacom, who said, uh, Coley and I looked at those, Colin Campbell, and we just think they're good hockey hits. After the second one, I said, are you effing kidding me? I said, listen, and this is five years before I retired. I said, if you think those are good hockey hits, you're going to have more Eric Lindros's, Keith Primo's, guys that had to leave the game because of concussions. They are not good hockey hits. you got to put the brakes on this now. I retired. I was invited to speak at the Mayo Clinic uh, just before my book was released, and I brought that up, and I showed evidence of the two hits, and Ooh, they everybody didn't like was that. aghast. And so I didn't tow the company line. Um, I stepped up in front of a moving train. It was not for my benefit whatsoever. Had I kept my mouth shut, Chris, I would be in the Hall of Fame without any doubt. I was put forward uh, in shame. the first, yeah, that's the first bullshit, uh, time. In my opinion. But you know what? Um, I'm not looking to fight the monster, uh, but there are certain qualities that we have to have uh, personal integrity. We have to not worry about ourselves when we can do good for others. And, and I'm not saying I'm a saint by any stretch of the imagination, but you know what? Over time and pressure that was exerted by some by me and some by media and, and public opinion, the league has really turned it around. They've done exactly what we all hoped they would do. It's just taken a little longer. So I'm not, I'm not looking to fight anybody. Uh, I, I loved my job. They uh, provided my family with, with a wonderful uh, opportunity and lifestyle. Uh, I owe the National Hockey League uh, a great deal. I was over 30 years uh, in the NHL. I was 34 years. I, I was signed by Clarence Campbell president of the NHL, uh, Rhodes Scholar and Nuremberg trial prosecutor, Mr. Campbell. So I go back through the history of the game uh, that when I was deposed, uh, and TSN, I was with TSN, and of course I had to comment on hits and, and plays through the playoffs and the regular season, and I can't compromise my integrity. It is what it is. I have to say what I believe it to be. And I ruffled they feathers. They didn't like that either, right? They didn't like that either. No, I ruffled feathers. And, I, you know, I, I hope at the end of the day, you know, we're all going to be judged when we're gone. Uh, and it, uh, it's, it's not going to be by the commissioner of, uh, yeah. of any uh, sports organization. I, I got a couple things. We got one, this, we got this little guy. He's a listener from Pittsburgh. And he doesn't understand it. Uh, from the standpoint that linesmen break up fights. But if you ever had to break up a fight, was there any, like, two guys that you were scared to death of? This little guy wants to know. Well, I would probably hold back when Bob Probert, because of his fighting style, and I'll tell you why. Proby would rope-a-dope, guys. He would, he would take all the punches, and if the linesman wanted to get in, he would, he would say, no, get out, get out. And then Proby got stronger at the end, and he would end up throwing them and knocking guys out. So if you think a guy's going to get hurt, the time I would go in is if I thought somebody was in peril. They were in jeopardy, and the linesmen were busy. And I've done it many, many times. Um, uh, Dave Manson was fighting a guy in Chicago, and he had him. And I squashed on the back of Dave Manson, and he fell forward. And then I wrapped my arms around both him and the guy on the bottom, and I and I talked to them. I'd immediately talk to them, and I'd say, "Okay, Charlie, relax. We're done here. It's over. No more." 
Don't want to have to suspend you. So that kind of, um, I guess, attention that I gave to players that were in jeopardy, were vulnerable. And that's the way John D'Amico was, too. He would jump in to protect the players. If, yep. you, were, if you were taking Kevin one... Kevin Collins, too. Kevin, yep, absolutely. Wayne Bonney. Wayne Bonney, another one. Yep. Really good. Yep. I wouldn't know what well, to see, do. With, with Kevin, sometimes he'd try and break <laughs> up fights before they started. And I'd say... Yeah, I didn't like that about Kevin. No. And some games need a fight back then. There yeah. were times when I would even promote one. Like, guys are jawing yeah. at one another, and I've said, hey, whoa, yeah. like, do you want him? Because I can pull these linesmen out of here, and one guy might go, uh... uh, uh I don't uh, think so. You weren't yeah. like, you should have heard what he said about your wife. Like, you weren't like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I, I've had a lot of those things. I've been called in to uh, be the morality police more than one time. No, I was just going to say, what's your what's your take on fighting today? Obviously, it's it's probably a little bit less and less, but what's your your feeling it's, on that? It's sort of moved itself out of the game. There's not many Chris Nylons around anymore. There's Hockey players are tough guys. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> They're not thank cowards. You. But you know what? The, the, the fighting end of it with, with legislation, with what we know now, if they, if they remove their helmet to fight, they get a penalty. I mean, you break your hand on a helmet, what sense is that, right? Or visors. And uh, once the, in a fight, once a helmet comes off a player, the linesmen are instructed to get in quick to break it up. We used to, I, I've seen fights, oh my God, they've, they've gone for like 35, Crazy. 40 minute plus exactly. headshots, right, boom, bang, boom, and wicked. And when guys are standing up and fighting, there's no way the linesmen are going in. Kerry, uh, a couple things. Uh, one, it, how you doing health-wise? I know you had that blood cancer and something you said you could live with, but how's that going? It's going really well. Thanks for asking, Chris. And, and uh, my uh, uh, leukemia, it's, it's a, an MPN in the leukemia family. It's called essential thrombocythemia. Essential thrombocythemia in the MPN family, leukemia family, is where a mutant gene develops in your bone marrow. And it starts to build uh, platelets. Platelets, if we cut ourselves, it goes, you know, when your body calls for it, it goes to the injury. You don't have an injury, you just keep building platelets, platelets, and they clot and they go to your uh, heart or your brain, stroke, done. So fortunately, I was diagnosed with it uh, just through a simple blood test uh, that I had. And uh, there, uh, it's a very rare form of, of this disease. Um, I have the gene that can morph into uh, multiple myeloma, which is really bad. And we're trying to avoid that. I take nine chemo pills a week. Uh, I just got off the bike uh, earlier this morning. I ride every day, I, between 13, 20 miles a day, uh, to keep uh, my body moving, my uh, immune system sharp, and also to overcome any fatigue that results, you know, from chemo. So, uh, thanks for asking. But I really encourage anybody: if you're not feeling good, if you're feeling sluggish, if you're off balance a little bit, all those symptoms that we as as jocks just forget about, push aside. Get to a doctor and get a routine blood test for sure. And it typically affects women over fifty years of age. Well, you do have that feminine side to you. <laughs> sensitive, yeah. sensitive. You know. No, appreciate you sharing that, and sorry to hear that. And obviously, uh, you know, for me, uh, you're an inspiration. I mean, I, I don't know. The way you carry yourself, um, it's pretty awesome to, to be 
able to kind of hear some of these stories and and obviously get to know you a little bit. So, well, thanks, yeah. Tim. I got to tell you, you guys loved what you did, right? And there was tough days. There were tough games. There was there was things you had to battle with, uh, maybe being sent down, not making it, being cut, um, internal stuff, family stuff. Uh, people forget that that our professional players are are they're human. And they have, you know, they have stuff at home that they have to deal with, whether it's sick kids or whatever. And, uh, you know, the fans get there and they, and they pay their ticket and they just think they can yell and throw things and, and you know, abuse people. And uh, it, it really, uh, when I had the opportunity to write a blog with TSN, and, and you guys are doing it here now with, with your uh, podcast, you bring forth a human side so that it, it allows the fan and your listeners uh, to understand we're just like you folks. We're, we really are. And we have good days. We have bad days. I mean, I don't think I ever had as bad a day as, as that one I missed in, in uh, you know, 93 with uh, Gilmore and Gretzky. Uh, but you know what? You have to move on through it. Uh, you, you just, you got to be better. You got to be the best you can be each day. And if you can affect somebody's life in a positive way, uh, through something simple, some simple kindness, even if it's a pleasant word. We're too wrapped up right now. This world is crazy. There's so much bad going on, uh, not just internationally, but in our own backyard. And uh, we've, we've got we've to be more kindly. We really do. We've got we to gotta get back to uh, some, some faith, I think. My faith is really important to me. Um, and, uh, but, but that being said, just human decency. We've got to get back to it. Yeah, uh, hopefully uh, we see that uh, sooner rather than later. He was, talk- he was talking to you, Chris. He was talking specifically. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm getting there. <laughs> Just don't stare at me when I'm buying groceries, Tim. Uh, well, you better get them yeah, quick because yeah. we're running out of them. No, that's well said, Kerry, because, like, like it, you know, it, there's a reason why, like, you, the, you know, guys that did the role of fighting and stuff, like, within the locker room, they're usually the best guys, right? Like... Like, most people have asked me, like, how's that guy? Is he just, like, an animal? And it's like, I actually know he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet, right? And and, and that is the truth, is, is we're all just kind of human, right? So it's awesome to hear that. Well, I was just wanted to ask you about today what you're doing. With, I, I know you have the golf app. Is it the steak? Well, yeah, it's a private uh, golf organization uh, by, by invitation only. Club. It's a steak club. club. Yeah, uh, we've got uh, over 520 members all around the world, Uh top clubs uh and we're a philanthropic organization it's not a money-making thing whatsoever nobody makes a nickel um we we host events uh i've got 26 stanley cup winners former stanley cup winners and one current uh that are in the state club uh, we've got four con Smythe trophy winners we have a coach that won a stanley cup uh and it's all about love and golf and we you know I'd like to bring Nux in, but we have a no asshole rule in, in the uh, that I enforce. I was going to say Nux isn't going to get invited, but how do I get invited? I'm a member, and I I like to hack it around. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, well, get you Tim know, in there. Yeah, well, you'd have to get an endorsement. You know, if it comes from Nux, I'm not sure you'd make the grade. No, I don't even like good. Nux. And you know? here's, the, no. here's the deal: I don't want to golf with a bunch of pussies anyway. Okay. <laughs> we had fun at Royal Montreal Golf Course. Nux and I, we did a charity thing, and uh, we just had a blast. I had him play with uh, some corporate people, and uh, they absolutely love this man. He, he's so much fun, as I do. Um, but the the other thing that is really important that I'm doing, I've been contacted by Cure, C-U-R-E, 
and uh, we're creating awareness and raising money uh, for multiple myeloma research as well as the MPNs. They have done seven um, uh, called Moving the Mountain for Multiple Myeloma. They've hiked Kilimanjaro with, with cancer patients and their doctors twice. They've been to Europe and and hike the mountains. We're going to do something coming up for MPN. It's going to be in the Denver area, Rockies, and then that's in September. And then for Canada, uh, the MPN Foundation there, we're going to do it in Banff. Uh, Really cool stuff. Well, here's a couple of characters right here that are ready to do the show from Colorado and from Banff. (laughs) Banff. I got a better one for you. One of the things I want to put together is a pond hockey game for the cancer patients with NHL alumni and some guys that maybe even played four games. <laughs> that was one. That was one year. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I'll I'll ref. I'll ref. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then I'll play. Listen, Kerry. Kerry, I want to thank you for joining us today. It was awesome.